talks on Jesus' words from the cross. And today we're going to be looking at um, these words said to one of the criminals crucified alongside Jesus, where Jesus says to him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. I'm going to speak very briefly, um, well, quite briefly on this today, because really there's only one major point that I want to get across. But before I get to that, I just want to briefly touch on this word paradise, because it's only used three times, apparently, in the whole New Testament. It's unclear exactly uh, why Luke chose to use this word instead of the word heaven. Um, But basically, most commentators seem to agree that it's uh, synonymous with, means the same as uh, heaven. Uh, And it means really being in the full presence of God. The reassurance to this criminal is simply that he will be in the presence of Jesus. This reminded me of 1 Corinthians, those words there where, you know, now I see only in part, then I shall see in full. Uh, And the invitation to this criminal is that he will, or the reassurance to him is that he will see God in full, face to face. We see glimpses of God, don't we, in various ways as we walk through life, but we don't see him face to face. And his assurance to this criminal, this convicted criminal dying with him, is that he will indeed uh, be with him in heaven, in paradise. And just as this guilty person who placed his trust in Jesus was reassured of abundant life, we too have the same assurance that though guilty of our own crimes before God, uh, as we humble ourselves before him, the floodgates of his mercy uh, are open. God is good all the time, amen? However, I want to turn our attention towards uh, how Jesus won this prize for us in the first place. How did Jesus actually do it? Now, I know we know that it's the cross, right? We know that it's the cross that opens up the floodgates of mercy. It opens up the possibility of paradise. But what I mean is, at a very human level, how did Jesus actually do it? How did he actually go through with the cross? Sometimes we think um, about Jesus doing incredible things. Uh, and sometimes, at some level, we kind of go, oh, yeah, well, sure, Jesus can do it because he's Jesus. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, we almost kind of like, because he's Jesus, we sort of say, well, Jesus is like Superman, you know? <laughs> it's like the same kind of thing. We, we kind of put this superhero badge on Jesus and go, oh, well, because he's Jesus, of course he can do this. Of course he can endure that. Of course he can do these things. But actually, if we think of Jesus' humanity in some kind of strange superhero terms, we're actually committing an ancient heresy known as Marcionism. Okay, and this old heresy was about saying that almost God's divinity, his godness, in some ways, he's so goddy that, that it made him less manny. Okay, his godness in some way means that he's not really human. It's like he's human, he's like a kind of god, but kind of dressed in human skin. Okay, that's actually an ancient heresy. We have to acknowledge that. Jesus being fully God in no way made him a lesser human. He was no less human than any of us, okay? And so when he was going to the cross, he would have felt all of the things an average human would have felt as they were going to a cross. And so it got me thinking, how did Jesus do this? How did he, how was he able to go through this? Especially that it was voluntary. 
He chose the cross. And as I was looking at this scripture, one thing I realized is that the temptations that Jesus was facing on the cross were exactly the same temptations that he was facing in the desert. That when he went to the cross, the temptations that he was facing there were kind of like amplified versions of what he experienced when he chose to voluntarily go out and be tested in the desert. It's like he goes to the desert to experience what, what it's going to feel like to be tested profoundly in his, in, his, in his own inner being, in his own strength. And then the cross is like those temptations turned up to 11. And so I'm just going to go through these different temptations and see, um, see if you see the kind of... Uh, the synergy here. I've got a few little props as well as we go. So in the temptation in the desert, uh, one thing that is a kind of a, a marker of what is going on there is that there is a sustained attack from Satan on Jesus's identity, always trying to undermine who Jesus would think he is. In the temptation in the desert, the devil says to Jesus, if you're the son of God, dot, 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 doesn't he? It's this like constant refrain. Again, getting him to kind of think, am I? Am I really God's son? It's like that questioning voice in the Garden of Eden. You know, did God really say? And then what do we find people yelling at the cross? If he's the chosen one, dot, dot, dot. If he's God's Messiah. If you're the king of the Jews. These three ifs, whilst he's on the cross, are being yelled at him. If you are, if you are, if you are, always trying to undermine and erode Jesus' self-understanding. And so the first symbol I'm going to use of that is a question mark. I'm going to use an alpha question mark because I like the alpha, of course. But it's a big, fat question mark. The devil's trying to get, get Jesus to think, do you re- are you really who you think you are? Does someone want to hang on to that? Verity, you can hold that one up. Go on. You can waggle it around. I'll get you to put it down in a bit. Okay, secondly, um, there's a temptation to ease uh, Jesus' bodily suffering. So in the temptation in the desert, the devil tries to persuade Jesus, doesn't he, to turn rocks into bread, to sustain his body. It's like, after 40 days, I I can't even begin to imagine how desperate you would be feeling for nourishment, for sustenance, for something to keep you going. Hunger, when it goes on that long, is painful. It actually hurts. Uh, And and the devil was there. Just, just why why make it harder than it needs to be? Just have a bit of bread. You can turn rocks into bread. That's not hard for you. And then at the cross, he's offered sour wine. And um, this offering of sour wine is at once an insult to him. It's kind of like a, a, a ridicule of him because the wine that he was offered is this kind of cheap naff wine that peasants would have drunk, really. But it's also, um, it was also given as an act of mercy. It was given as an act of mercy. It was like a cheap kind of drug, like a cheap narcotic that they would offer people uh, to kind of dull the pain of what they were experiencing. So drinking on that would have actually eased his suffering And yet, he said, no, I'm not going to do it. He chose not to take it. So the second symbol is bread. This is actually slightly stale bread. Chris, I'm going to give you stale bread to waggle around the air. So our second symbol is bread. Thirdly, there's a temptation to put God to the test through performing 
a miraculous sign. I'm going to give that one now. I didn't know what to do for a miraculous sign. I thought something spangly would, would be good. Um, so someone can have something spangly. <laughs> There's a temptation uh, to Jesus to perform a miraculous um, sign. In the temptation in the desert, the devil kind of goads Jesus to throw himself down. In a, in a visible kind of wow moment, where he could throw himself down. He says, if you do it, the angels will catch you, you know? And then you can kind of show everyone who you are. Interestingly, at the cross, three times people challenged Jesus to bring himself down from the cross, saying, save yourself. In other words, do something impossible. If you're really who you are, you can, you can take yourself off the cross. People will believe that way. If you do that, of course everyone's going to believe. Do something impossible if you are who you say you are. And Jesus just flatly, flatly refuses it. And then finally, lastly, the whole experience of the cross was really a temptation to switch um, allegiance from the kingdom of light to the kingdom of darkness. And there was only really one symbol that I could use for this, um, which is a bit of Darth. So who wants Darth? Go for it. There's a temptation over and over again where the devil is trying to draw Jesus to the dark side. Who's a Star Wars fan out there? You know, like, this is good, good, good franchise, isn't it? Um, but in that, there's this you know, Luke Skywalker, and there's always this, there's, the dark side is ever-present. It's this kind of way of being that, that Luke is always kind of feels the tentacles drawing him towards it. And in some way, it's easier being on the dark side. The standards are lower. It's not as, it's not as hard to be on the dark side. In the desert, the devil tempts Jesus, saying, bow down and worship me. In other words, make me your Lord and serve me. To which Jesus responds, worship the Lord, sorry, the, the word of God says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. But the cross is the ultimate test of obedience and allegiance and the ultimate act of worship. It's like the devil is saying, is this really God's plan for you, Jesus? Is this the best that he's got for your life, that you're going to end up crucified. Because my plan would have been much better. My plan would be to avoid all this nastiness of the cross uh, altogether. I, I would have figured out another way of making this work. If you think about the encounter that Jesus has with Peter when he reveals the plan of the cross to his disciples. You know, there's this kind of messianic secret, isn't there, where Jesus is keeping everything under wraps for a while, and then he kind of begins to go public, and he begins to say to the disciples, you know, the Son of Man must suffer many things at the hands of evil men, you know, and, and must be crucified. And he tells them publicly about the plan, about God's plan. This is the way that I'm going to be going. This is my plan. This is the one that is going to lead to freedom for everybody, and he speaks to them publicly about it. And then what does Peter say? Peter, it says, took him aside and began to rebuke him. He's a brave person that rebukes Jesus, right? <laughs> Classic Peter. And he says, never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And then what does Peter say? 
What does Jesus say to this? He doesn't say, get behind me, Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan, because he knows that it's not just Peter doing that. It's like, I know what, which way I have to go. This is the kingdom of light. This is the way I need to go. This is what it looks like to pledge allegiance to my father and do everything that I'm going to do and be completely obedient to him for all my days until the end. And Satan says, ah, don't worry about all the suffering. You can go the other way. You can do it differently. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Mate, you're on the dark side, and that's just not me. The amazing news for us today is that Jesus, the human being, prepared himself for the road ahead of him. So that when his time came, he was able to stand firm and do exactly what the Father had asked of him. It's through the cross. It is absolutely through the cross that we can be forgiven. But we can sometimes forget that Jesus could have stopped at any point, including avoiding his own arrest in the first place. He could have just not gone through with it, but he didn't. Jesus didn't want to risk failing in his plan through just assuming that he'd be strong enough, humanly speaking, to tackle that which he was being called to tackle. And so it was his preparation years beforehand in the proving ground of the desert, his utter determination, his commitment, his dedication, his obedience, and ultimately his love for you, his love for you, that he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the desert. I'm going to do it for 40 days, and I'm going to do it for Phil Cooper, and I'm going to do it for Carol, and I'm going to do it. Who else shall I choose? All of you. I'm not going to pick on anyone else. You guys get that as a special gift today. But he does it for us. He went to the desert for you, to test himself for you, to go to the cross so that he could endure the cross for you. How amazing is God. And I'm so inspired by Jesus' sheer will to do just whatever the Father called him to do. And yet maybe during this season of Lent, there is something, isn't there, about preparing ourselves, about preparing ourselves for the Easter week, preparing ourselves for Jesus' coming in that way. Um, so maybe this week um, you can be thinking, Lord, what, what can I be doing, humanly speaking, what can I be doing to invest in myself now to prepare myself for that which you're calling me to in the future? Uh, but above all, let's give thanks for Jesus' assurance. Blessed assurance. Uh, that one day we too will be with him in paradise. Amen. Amen.